Greetings, Northlings, and welcome to Haunted Up North, that stupid podcast dedicated to the telling of real-life paranormal experiences from the north of the UK. I'm your host, Victoria, and I really hope you find yourselves scintillated, scared, and, most importantly, entertained by the spectral tales I'm about to tell you today. I've been incredibly excited to start telling you about the spectral tales I'm about to tell you today. The spectral tales are from a spectral place I'd never even heard of before. To be honest, there's going to be lots of spectral tales I'll have never heard of before, and I hope you've never heard of before, because that's the kind of point of sourcing most of these stories from the uppermost territories. So we can delve into new mysteries we might not already be familiar with. I became aware of this particular haunted location just these last few weeks, in fact, because my mum bought me this amazing map called Trumpshaw, Tingleton and Giggleswicks Craftily Conjured Great British Folklore and Superstition Map. Wow! It's described as the most legendary map of Britain by the marvellous mapmakers themselves. This is the company that actually made the map. They're genuinely called Marvellous Mapmakers, and they have a website. It's MarvellousMaps.com, where you can buy other types of Marvellous Maps by Marvellous Maps, like Great British Place Names and Great British Film and TV and Great British Map of Wonders. Maps. Map, map, map. Uh, And it's amazing, this map, what I've got. It basically shows you all of the haunted bits of Britain in map form. And it's on this map. (laughs) Map, map, map. I found an interesting looking location on the Isle of Yell. That's Y-E-L-L. The Island of Yell, which is the biggest island of the three North Isles of Shetland, Scotland. The three North Isles of Shetland, if you're interested, God, Godder, are, in order of bigness... Yell, Unst, and Fettler. They're the most northern part of the UK because you can't get any more British northern than the British Shetland Islands. So they're perfect for this podcast, aren't they? Yes. They sit in the northern Atlantic between Britain, the Faroe Islands, and Norway, about 50 miles northeast of Orkney, 110 miles from mainland Scotland, and 140 miles west of Norway. And the reason I came to be perusing this part of the country on my Trumpshaw, Tingleton and Giggleswick map is because it's a massive map and when I first received it, I was scared of opening it in case it knocked something over or poked some poor person in the eye. So I gingerly peeked around one corner and that corner just happened to house a map of the Shetland Islands with the words shadowy Shetland next to it which sounded dead good. So seeing as I'm a bit of an opportunist with regards to finding new ghost stories, I thought I'd look up some information about one of the points of interest on that page as a starting point from which to catapult myself upon a shadowy Shetland adventure. And that point of interest was a haunted ruin named Windhouse on, as I stated, the island of Yell in the Shetland Islands. I didn't need to tell you all that, but I did. Ha! <laughs> Windhouse, despite its name, is not a house that's filled with trumps or farts. It's a house that's positively riddled with ghosts. Some internet sources say it's pronounced Windhoose, 
but spelt Windhouse. W-I-N-D-H-O-U-S-E. But I'm not sure whether I feel comfortable calling it that because I've got an English accent, as you know, and saying Windhouse makes me feel like <laughs> I'm taking the mick out of a Scottish accent. So I'm going to pronounce it Windhouse. And I've watched a few videos online of people with English accents calling it Windhouse. So I'm going to stick with that for the duration. Is that all right? Before I delved too deep into Windhouse, I glanced at a few things online to check how much paranormal activity was associated with this 300-year-old building, and the more I read, the more interested I became, especially when I went and did a Google map, a Google street view, or a Google road view, and saw just how frightening this old, decaying ruin really is. It's set up on a small hillside and you can see it from the road. It's situated about a mile from the village of Midiel at the head of Wailfirth on the A968 overlooking the sea. Well, I guess it's an estuary, I think. I don't know. It's not the big bit of sea. It's a bit of sea that comes inland. (laughs) I don't know what you call that. Is that an estuary? It's like an estuary if it's not an estuary. Apologies to any estuary experts. Feel free to correct me if I've got your estuary wrong. But it Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a very picturesque place, as well as very deeply imposing. The house has a very stark silhouette against the skyline, and it's surrounded by quite bleakish-looking fields, basically, in the middle of nowhere. There are a couple of buildings just down from it, and a small handful of houses dotted about in the distance. One of the two nearest buildings look like, one's like some sort of outhouse, while the other is the Windhouse Lodge, which was originally constructed as a gatehouse and is now a bod. That's, that's B and O with umlauts over the O, D. I don't know how, I'm, I'm just pronouncing it bod. I don't know if it's, is it bud? <laughs> well, it's got umlauts over its O, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I can't find anywhere that teaches me how to pronounce things sometimes. I do try, but I couldn't find anywhere that, that helped me pronounce bod. But this bod, it sleeps around eight people. It has hot water, heat, a shower and a stove. And if you're into that kind of thing, you can stay in it from March through to the end of October, if you fancy a bit of ghost hunting around Windhouse at night. If you don't know what a bod with the umlauts over the O is, it's very basic accommodation if you're on a tight budget and just need a place to crash with the minimum amenities. It's a bit like camping, but in a house with heat and water. The term bod with umlauts over the O in Shetland originally referred to a type of building used to house fishermen and their gear during the fishing season, but since 1992, it's a name used to describe these basic accommodation buildings. Do have a look on Google Maps at Windhouse, though, maybe before you listen to the rest of this episode, because it'll really help set the scene. You don't have to, but I think you should. If you type in Windhouse, it'll plant you right next to Windhouse Lodge, but you can see the outline of the old house in the distance behind, so just click on a couple of arrows also to get a clearer look up the road at it. Windhouse is reportedly the most haunted house in Shetland, and originally a laird's house. Laird is a term for a long-established Scottish estate owner. It's been abandoned since the 1920s, by humans that is, not by the ghosts who still tread its crumbling halls. The structure of the house you can still see, or what's left of it, that is. It was originally built in 1707 and remodelled in 1885. 
So it's been there for around 315 years at the time of this recording, and it was erected right on top of a medieval church and ancient burial ground. Of course it was. How very poltergeist of it. But it's true. Two human skeletons dating back to the 13th or 14th century before the house was built were unearthed about five years ago from within the grounds of Windhouse, just six inches below the surface. The remains were found when the current owner, well, the owner from about five years ago, I think it's still the same person or people who own it, um, the remains were found after a survey had been carried out on the property because, aside from the graveyard and church stuff, there's a lot of precious history attached to the land that needs obviously protecting if any work or development is going to be carried out. There's a brock beside it, which is an Iron Age tower found only in Scotland, and this brock was built between 500 BC and AD 200. But if you want to see some examples of better preserved brocks, just Google brocks, B-R-O-C-H-S, and you'll be able to see what one looks like. There's the remains of a longhouse, which I presume is a Viking longhouse, basically a long, low-walled dwelling built by 18th or 9th century Scandinavian settlers, and a Neolithic chambered cairn, which is a burial monument from the (laughs) Neolithic period, (laughs) around 10,000 to 4,400 BC. Do you like my facts and figures? The remains of another earlier house that predates the construction of Windhouse lies further on up the hill behind it, which, built in the 1600s, was owned by a string of unsavoury characters with even a hanging said to have taken place there. I mean, can you believe the amount of historical importance in such a small space of land as that? It's been a positively seething hotbed of historical human activity for as long as 5,000 years, basically. I think the discovery of two skeletons are just the tip of the iceberg here, and though there have been no previous signs of the house being situated right on the top of the graveyard, archaeologists do think there are more skeletons to be found there once more excavations are approved to take place. And in fact, even before the more recent discovery, reports of human bones having previously been found in Windhouse have circulated for decades already. A skeleton discovered beneath the floorboards at the foot of the main staircase is thought to be linked to the infamous Lady in Silk, a ghost who is said to have wandered in a circle three times at the top of the stairs making rustling sounds with her dress and petticoats before sighing and disappearing. She is thought to be a housekeeper or one-time mistress of the laird who died by breaking her neck after tumbling tragically down the stairs. Countless residents of Windhouse have reported many unsettling disturbances throughout the centuries during the days in which it was still intact and inhabited. Cold spots and footsteps were frequently reported, and one bedroom in particular was avoided like the plague, when a maid once fled in horror after hearing a disembodied voice laughing at her every time she tried to make the bed. In 1801, A large group of workers who'd been brought in from the mainland to carry out maintenance on the house were alerted by a local that though 20 men had entered Windhouse previous to said work being completed, only 19 had departed after it was finished, leaving one man unaccounted for. The local was ignored, much to his chagrin, 
but it was later discovered that the missing man had in fact been murdered after a drunken brawl at a party had led to his untimely death. The body of the murdered man was buried by the front door beneath a large stone base, hidden for fear of the person who had killed him ending up behind prison bars, or worse, hung. Many years later, the body was discovered and given a proper burial, at which point the spirit of a giant man who'd been witnessed about the building ceased haunting Windhouse forever. There's another ghost at Windhouse, widely referred to as the Tall Man. He's a bit like Hat Man who we mentioned last time. He's been seen wandering about the house wearing a long coat and top hat. His favourite haunt, haha, <laughs> haunt, his favourite haunt to haunt <laughs> was along the front terrace where he'd eventually turn and disappear into one of the building's outside walls. Unlike the Lady in Silk, no one has much of an idea whom this ghost might be. Aside from an 1887 report of a male skeleton measuring over six feet tall having been unearthed during the middle of some drainage work, rumours of a tax collector having previously gone missing on the property have sparked the notion that this body, found in shallow ground, could belong to the tall man's ghost, and that, in fact, he was the victim of a murder at Windhouse. Well, it's not a fact, I just thought that made the sentence sound fancier. But it could be. At the time the body was found, no one of that description had been reported missing. No evidence of foul play could be detected upon the skeleton and the arms had been folded in a traditional manner across the chest. However, there was no coffin, which is decidedly quite weird, isn't it? It's getting to be a bit like Funny Bones, <laughs> this house. <laughs> Perhaps it's what Funny Bones was based on? Probably not, but dunno, whatever. The spirit of a servant girl has also been spotted climbing an invisible staircase, and a ghost dog still prowls the grounds, barking and howling on very dark nights. From out of an old sea chest, which once sat in the hallway, a spirit in the misty form of a full-grown man rose when the son of a previous laird dared to unlock it after years of it being solidly shut. In the early 1900s, and this is potentially very upsetting for those who've been affected by child mortality, so please look away if you're triggered by traumas such as these. In the early 1900s, two men were replacing a broken window when, upon removing a nailed-up shutter, a small bundle fell from behind it. Upon closer inspection, it appeared to be the sheepskin-clad skeleton of a small infant, presumably the remnants of an unwanted or illicit pregnancy. What a lot of sad tales we have there. Sorry about that. It sounds a bit like that land is cursed, isn't it? Not to sound like a superstitious Susan or anything. I kind of feel like the current owners should probably not <laughs> do it up and live in it in case something pretty nasty happens to them as well. I'm sure not everybody who's lived at Windhouse has had such a terrible time there. Quite possibly it's got a few happy spirits dancing about the place unseen. Or at least it's been party to some jollier moments that residents have taken as pretty cheerful memories to their graves. Now for something a little bit different. A tale that's slightly more Brothers Grimm for you than old-fashioned moider and fatal staircase falling. If you're interested, God, Godder. 
So one of the most common and best-loved tales from Shetland's folklore are those concerning the Trows, who, according to legend, are malignant and mischievous fairies or spirits who live in the hills. They are much revered across the Isles and frequently appear in the folkloric traditions of the Orkney and Shetland Islands. And this is what Shetland.org has to say about them. Trows are creatures similar to humans, but smaller and uglier, who lived in the hills, particularly the heathery peatlands from the sea. They would only come out at night to work mischief in the human world. If a trow was to get caught out by the rising sun, it would turn to stone before it was able to get back to its underground lair. Trows are said to have particularly loved fiddle music, and much of our traditional music is thought to have been learned from the trows and the people who were taken by them or heard the music emitting from their underground nose. That's not a nose on your face that lives underground. It's K-N-O-W-E-S, and it's a small hill or knoll. Thanks, Shetland.org, for telling us about the trows. It won't surprise you, I'm sure, to learn that Windhouse has its very own trow-related legend. I mean, as if it wouldn't. What with it being colossally haunted by literally everything in the world. Ever. But unlike the trows depicted in traditional folklore, the trow connected with Windhouse is a pretty big beast, (laughs) by all accounts. The story goes that on Christmas Eve, sometime during the mid-1800s, A shipwrecked sailor scrambled his way to Windhouse to find the Spence family, the house's then residents, packing up to spend the night elsewhere. The reason for their strange elopement is explained to the sailor as follows. For the last three years, as the clock struck midnight on the dawn of Christmas Day, a trow would descend upon Windhouse and subject it to such extreme shakes and tremors that household items would be thrown around by the sheer force of such violent eruptions. Each of these terrifying outbreaks had been accompanied by the demise of a family member. The first had been the family's eldest son, the second the eldest daughter, and lastly another child who, along with the others, had been found dead in their bed on Christmas morning. The Spencers warned the sailor of the impending doom to come that night and offered to take him away with them to stay with family members in the middle of the island. The sailor, however, refused, stating he did not believe in spirits, ghouls, or trows, and vowed to remain where he was, being too exhausted to be afeard of something so seemingly fantastical. The family left, and he fell asleep, but as midnight struck, sure enough, a strange darkness descended, and the entire house began to shake. For some reason, this guy had an axe with him. Just just a random axe. I don't know whether it was his axe <laughs> from when he lived on the ship, or whether he'd found it somewhere in a shed and kept it with him, just in case the murderous trow actually turned up. However, when the house started to tremble, he grabbed his axe as the front door flew open to reveal a giant trow that made its way towards him with intent to attack. The sailor fled out the back. <laughs> Clever guy, not running up the stairs. More characters being chased by villains in horror films should take note of this tactic. He fled out the back, but the naughty beast followed, so he sliced it with his axe and killed it. As soon as he had done so, 
The darkness lifted and the house fell silent, while the trowel slowly turned into a slimy, shapeless mass. By the time the family returned, however, delighted to see the sailor alive and their foe turned into slime, there was no sign whatsoever of the trowel's slain body, apart from a patch of bright green heather where it once lay. That is grim. <laughs> uh, very Halloween. At least it's gone now, the trowel. What was even its problem? Not a fan of that. Some locals say they can point to the spot where the trowel was meant to be. If anyone from the Isle of Yell is listening and knows the story and knows the patch of land where the trowel was last seen, let us know. In late 2020, Adventure Shetland, a company that does guided walks and hikes around the Shetland Islands, who provided a lot of the research I found on the Ghosts of Windhouse, filmed a series of YouTube episodes entitled Spooky Shetland in preparation for the build-up to Halloween that year. They do one about trows, one about <laughs> a selection of mythical water beasts that the only one of those I can really pronounce is selkies and fins, and I, I can't quite I can't find anywhere on the internet that tells me how to pronounce all of them, so I'm not going to try for fear of sounding like a ignorant individual. <laughs> so they do one about trows, one about mythical water beasts and one called Trowy Tales, which, which I think is a series of traditional folk stories. One about Shetland's Halloween traditions and customs, and a final one about Windhouse, which takes place on site, the link to which I'll add in the source material, so you can enjoy a visual experience of the nooks and crannies of this most notoriously haunted building. As is often the case when I'm scouring the internet for stories about the spooky subjects of these Haunted Up North episodes, I came across a few more formidable folktales involving ghosts and mystical creatures that live and appear to people on the Shetland Islands. A website I've used before in the Patreon episode The Ghosts of Clayton Tunnel called Paranormal Database has got some great examples of ghostly goings-on in Shetland. So, presuming they don't mind, it's too late now, I'm doing it, uh, I'll read a few of them out to you to finish off with today. Here I go. Listen to me reading them. I'm going to offend so many people here, I'm sorry, I'm just warning you. I don't know how to pronounce a lot of these places and I, I can't find any reference to help me. So apologies in advance. I do, I'll, I'll do my best. At Borough Haif, reports of a creature with a sail-like body and a flipper on the end of its nose have existed since the 1900s. The Standing Stones at Haldayton's Stone Circle in Fetler are said to have once been trolls who, after dancing until dawn and unable to escape to their caves before the breaking of the day, all turned to rock when the sunlight hit their bodies. In 1833, 30 miles off the coast of Yell, a group of fishermen claimed to have caught a 19 centimetre long mermaid which had webbed fingers, blue eyes and nostrils, but was without a chin or ears. After listening to the creature wail for hours, they eventually threw it back into the sea. The waters around Scalloway are believed to be home to an army of Kelpies, humanoid sea creatures who drown their victims before feasting on their flesh. In the year of 1810, 
the remains of a large, unidentified sea creature drifted into Scalloway Bay and remained there for two weeks before vanishing. Water-based troll-like creatures are said to live in the sea around V. Skerries, dressed in seal skin which they peel from their bodies in order to mimic humans when they visit land to rest. Just a little handful there. Those are the scariest ones that I picked. And they are quite scary, aren't they? I remember having a book when I was little. I I still have it, I think. Or maybe it's at my dad's somewhere. I don't know. It was basically my favourite book for years, and it had accounts of ghosts, aliens, giant birds carrying off small children, as well as scary sea monsters. And I just had a quick look online. It was a it was a Reader's Digest hardcover that you can still get online secondhand, but anyway, it was a perfectly edited book with some proper unsettling stuff inside it. It was called Mysteries of the Unexplained, and although I was scared by most of the accounts I read about in there, the water-based horror chapters about sirens, monsters, and basically hybrid human sea creatures used to particularly freak me out. And that's how I still feel reading out that little list of freakish folklore. Thanks, Paranormal Database. As I've said before over on Patreon, may your chimneys be always swept. Not a euphemism. There's been a lot of unusual storytelling going on in this episode. I've really, really enjoyed gathering all the information we've talked about today involving Shetland's ghosts and creepy beasts. It makes me want to jump on a ferry and sail off into the wilds of Scotland. I haven't been that far up myself, up to the Shetland Islands. I've only... The furthest I've probably been Scotland-wise is to the town of Oban, and from there I got the ferry to the Isle of Collinsay, which is beautiful, beautiful beaches, but that's the furthest I've been, but I'd, I'd really love to, to go up to the Shetland Islands. However, realistically, I'll have to save it for another day, because I've got a curry coming, and curry is life. Thanks for listening, everyone, and for letting us inject a bit of Northern Soul into your day. I hope you found these ghosts to be good ones, and that you were suitably entertained by them. Long live the North and all who haunt her, and may her power forever compel you to never presume that if you do ever visit the Isle of Yell in Shetland, that their most haunted building, Windhouse, is pronounced Windhouse, not Windhouse, because you might just get your head smashed in. And no one wants to become another Windhouse, sorry, no one wants to become another Windhouse skeleton now, do they? See you later. Bye! Maps. Map, map.